0: Hey everybody and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast as always is brought to you by my sponsors, Policy Pack Software, where you use group policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also by Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions. And of course, also by Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues, regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these great sponsors to thank. And now for some news. News. On last week's episode, I covered the disclosure of the print nightmare vulnerability affecting domain controllers up to and including those on fully patched Windows Server 2019. There was some good news earlier this week. Microsoft released an out-of-band patch KB5004945 for several of their operating systems. The bad news, unfortunately, is that according to BleepyComputer.com, The patch only fixed the remote code execution component of the vulnerability, and threat actors could still use the local privilege escalation component to gain system privileges on vulnerable systems. According to MimiCat's creator Benjamin Delpy, the patch could be bypassed to achieve remote code execution when the point and print policy is enabled. That's a group policy. Microsoft told Computer. Quote, we're aware of claims and are investigating, but it is time we are not aware of any bypasses, end quote. Security researcher Matthew Hickley explained the role of ACLs or ACLs, depending on which you prefer, but basically the permissions around print drivers for enabling this vulnerability. He explained that print nightmares of vulnerability in the Windows print spooler that is caused by missing access control lists or ACLs, ACL checks. In the Add Printer Driver EX, RPC Add Printer Driver, and RPC Async Add Printer Driver Windows API functions used to install local or remote print drivers. Now, as the vulnerability implicates or is caused by issues with basically permissions for drivers, it appears that some have been attempting to mitigate by changing permissions on their drivers folder. I saw at least one blog post suggesting that. Well, Guy Leach tweeted a warning about dinking around with the ACLs on this folder as you could possibly break applications that require to install print drivers. Also a word of warning, a Reddit thread suggests the Microsoft patch breaks Zebra printers, which have a large presence in healthcare, with the thread suggesting the vendor is telling their customers to roll back the patch. I know of at least one person too, shout out to Trenton Ty, who after installing it on his Windows 10 21 H1, I believe it was, uh, machine, he started getting blue screens of death. He shared that on his Twitter, he's a great person to follow on Twitter, so check out Trenton Ty, T-R-E-N, T-E-N-T, T-Y-E, all one word, and you'll find him on Twitter. To wrap a bowl on this story, Hickley the security researcher, told Computer that he is still advising admins and users to disable the Prince Spooler service to protect their Windows servers and workstations until a working patch is released. And in late breaking news, if this audio sounds different to the rest of the episode, it's because I recorded this after I'd already recorded the podcast and had to edit it in. But in late breaking news, Microsoft has released... KB5004948, which is an emergency security update to address the Windows Print Spooler Print Nightmare Vulnerability, and that's available for all editions of Windows 10, Windows Server 2012, Windows 8.1, Windows Server 2012 R2, Windows 7 SP1, and Windows Server 2008 R2 SP1, and Windows Server 2008 SP2. That also includes Windows Server 2016 and Windows Server 2019, too. So it seems like they've got all bases covered now. Just before the 4th of July weekend in the U.S., it was reported that there was another attack launched via supply chain, this time in Cassia, a software platform designed to help manage IT services remotely. Effective machines received a ransom note asking for 44000 $999 to be unlocked. Jeez, <laughs> round it up. A note published on Cassia's website recommended to customers to shut off their VSA servers for now because one of the first things the attacker does is shut off administrative access to the VSA. In a later update, saying that it had been advised by its outside experts that customers who experienced ransomware and received a communication from the attackers should not click on any links. They may be weaponized. According to a report from Leapy Computer, the attack targeted six large MSPs and has encrypted data for as many as 200 companies, but that was early on. It has now been suggested that more than 1,000 companies may be impacted, and the gang claims they have hit more than a million endpoints. A Swedish grocery store called Co-op closed while dealing with the fallout, I believe they were closed since the weekend and only reopened on Thursday. Also, multiple schools in New Zealand were affected too. Kevin Beaumont shared that with these attacks, the Revel ransomware was arriving via a Cassia update and using the platform's administrative privileges to infect systems. Once the managed service providers are infected, their systems then can attack the clients that they provide remote IT services for via network management, system updates, backups, and many other things. Robert Lemos wrote on darkreading.com that automation allowed a Revel affiliate to move from exploitation of vulnerable servers to installing ransomware on downstream companies faster than most defenders could react. Within seconds, compromised servers woke up and ran a command script that disabled a a variety of security controls and sent malicious payloads to every system managed by those servers. From the first packets exploiting dozens of ESA servers to the deployment of ransomware on the endpoints of hundreds of thousands of MSPs customers, it took less than two hours. Cassia said it has notified the FBI. The company said it has so far identified less than 40 customers that were impacted by the attack. And there have been suggestions that the reports have been overblown, which a lot of people are taking exception with. It has also been reported that Microsoft notified that IT service company Cinex's systems may have been exposed. The article by Robert also suggests that Cassia was aware of security issues since April and had been working to get it addressed. But unfortunately, the attack hit before they could plug that hole. Kevin Beaumont suggested a few days ago, that at least one of the entities affected by this is government owned. So this is probably going to be another one of those major attacks and stories that goes on for a few weeks. Also hack related, but not the same cyber gang attack or ransomware. Bleepingcomputer.com has reported that Morgan Stanley reported a data breach after vendor Excelion was hacked. They stated that no Morgan Stanley applications were compromised and that encrypted files that were in the possession of a third-party vendor were taken from an Excelion FTA server. And very unfortunately, a decryption key for those encrypted files was also taken. Morgan Stanley says the documents stolen during this incident contained stock plan participants' names, addresses, date of birth, social security numbers, and corporate company names. A spokesperson for Morgan Stanley said, The protection of client data is of the utmost importance and is something we take very seriously. We are in close contact with the GuideHouse and are taking steps to mitigate potential risks to clients. So Morgan Stanley is obviously a pretty big fish. I would not like to be that third-party vendor that they were relying on because... It's a large company to upset and a large customer to potentially lose. ZDNet reported this week of a pretty serious vulnerability in Linux RPM, which is Linux's long-standing package manager solution. It turns out that RPM can allow unsigned packages or packages signed with revoked keys to silently be patched or updated without a word of warning. It's obviously bad news if a package with revoked keys can just silently update itself in the, in the background. The article suggests that RPM is quite old and was designed at a time when getting software working and out there was a higher priority than the security side of things. The article also suggests it could be months until there is a fix, which is really bad because RPM is very widely used. Citrix published an article about deploying Citrix Profile Manager as a separate install to those VDAs that you're using for remote PC. They say that you will be able to leverage Citrix Director and Performance Analytics metrics when you deploy Citrix Profile Management along with your VDA with certain parameters. And I'll share a link to this with this episode, which is episode 184. And you'll find it on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links if you're a remote PC user and you'd like to see some of the metrics available within your Citrix Analytics. Now, this is a separate installer, but it can be extracted from the single session full VDA installer using a utility such as 7-Zip. And if there's already a remote PC access deployment and no VDA upgrade is needed or planned, they say you could deploy the profile management components separately just on top of existing VDA installs. And just some quick hit stories to wrap up the news for this week. Citrix have released a browser redirection extension in beta for the Chrome browser. So that's pretty useful because obviously Chrome is one of the more widely used browsers. And browser redirection and allows you to offload some of the resource consumption, which is always a good thing. Microsoft shared a new feature with their RPA products that allows you to import a Power Platform connector from GitHub as a custom connector. They say that previously, in order to edit and deploy a connector in Power Platform Connectors Repository, you had to download the files, edit the settings.json file, use the Python CLI to create a custom connector from your local files, and then enter the custom connectors page to edit the connector, which I'm tired just explaining that, so it sounds like it was a pain in the butt. Well, they say they're excited to announce that you no longer need to worry about downloading files. Instead, you'll now be able to import a connector from the connector repository and deploy the connector as a custom connector all from a customs connector page. They say custom connector a lot. Microsoft will be holding an event called What's Next in End User Computing on July 15th, where it has been rumored they will announce their Cloud PC product, which will be a flap per user price desktop. So no worrying about... You know, that taxi meter going up and up and up while your virtual desktop, say, an Azure virtual desktop is left powered on. You're not gonna be paying for the consumption. As it's happening, you'll be paying a flat per price on that desktop. So that sounds a lot easier to handle. If you'd like to register for that event, I'll share a link with this episode too. Jeff Bezos has stepped down as Amazon CEO. Andy Jassy, Amazon's cloud computing boss, will take over Bezos' role. And once he steps down, Bezos will transition to executive chairman of Amazon's board. So I'm guessing this is because he wants to focus more time on his space adventures and stuff like that instead. Previously, I covered a story about Microsoft winning a major contract with the US government worth $10 billion. When I covered it, I went into details about their plans for using augmented reality in the HoloLens and different aspects of what the proposed project was going to be. Well, according to the Washington Post, the Pentagon have decided they no longer want a single cloud approach, which was the core of the JEDI contract. It was Microsoft doing a whole lot of stuff. So that's going to be good news for some of the other cloud vendors out there like AWS, like Oracle, like IBM some of whom were quite pissed off that Microsoft won that large contract and they were shut out. So personally, I think it's probably a good thing because you shouldn't be relying on just one vendor. So probably a good move. And now, some hot jobs. I saw this week on Twitter that Jessica Rose shared a pretty lengthy thread on the topic of people who are maybe being forced to return to the office and they don't want to so they're looking for remote jobs and a lot of people are sharing remote work opportunities in the united kingdom and she was asking if you're hiring for remote workers to please share as well so seems like a pretty good place to recruit remote workers and also if you're looking for a remote job in the united kingdom or at least that will pay you to work remote in the united kingdom this could be a good resource. And now a weekly webinar. Sammy Leho presented a really great webinar with Policy Pack this week on the top 10 Windows security settings to block attackers. Unfortunately, by the time I uploaded this episode, the webinar had already gone live and taken place, but the recording is already available, so you can check that out, and I'll share a link to that with this episode as I do everything that I mention on each episode of the podcast. And now this episode, Scripts, Tricks, and Tips. My buddy Mike Nelson shared a really interesting little trick or tidbit, particularly for those who have to do like presentations and stuff like that. This could come in handy. But the pretend code on a laptop screen used in a stock photo by the developer.bbc.com site Is actually user editable so you can actually go into it with the picture up and it's like a stock picture of someone just at a laptop with a blank screen and whatever you type comes up on the screen in small little text so if you ever have a need for maybe dropping in a little gif or a recording of someone typing code on a screen this could be pretty handy to use my buddy Trent who i already mentioned once in this podcast had tweeted this week asking anyone running a post 1912 LTSR version of Citrix or CR version of Citrix PVS, whether or not they're having any problems because he's noticed that his maximum uptime now is around four to five days before things lock up. So if you're on a newer version of Citrix PVS than 1912 and you're not having issues, it'd be great if you could reach out to Trent to let him know or if you are having issues Definitely reach out to Trent because it sounds like you guys could share some information with each other, maybe help escalate it. The awesome Sarah Lean shared some tips for using Azure Static Web Apps, which I think I covered a previous tip from Ryan and Yeto on moving to GitHub Pages in the past. I think this might be a little bit similar, but obviously it's not GitHub Pages, it's Azure Static Web Apps. But if you've got something that's kind of like a static page, a landing page, something like that, and you want to move it from your current hosting situation to an Azure Static Web app, then this would be a really great guide to use. And finally, James Rankin posted part seven, part seven of his ultimate guide to Windows logon time optimizations. And the topic this time is near and dear to my heart, it's active setup. I think I've been spending the better part of 10 years working with solutions and products to eliminate active setup from slowing down first-time user logins. But like I said last week, if you haven't read any of the series yet, you should start with part one and read all the way up to part seven. It's really, really comprehensive and excellent stuff. Well, that's it for another episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening.